you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, it's America's talk radio show about opera. It's Opera Box Score. I'm Weston Williams, joined this week by Oliver Camacho and Matt Cummings. All right, this week, on October 30th, Opera's biggest competition crowned this year's winners in Riga, Latvia, and on October 31st, Classical Singer Forum replaced the face of the competition's creator with that of Harvey Weinstein, congratulating, quote, opera institutions who remain complicit with sexual predators. Yikes. Will you, our beloved and woke OBS listeners, now also be complicit for learning the results of Operalia 2022? Plus, in the two-minute drill, friend of the show Afton Battle is moving on from Fort Worth Opera and asks, what part of that do you not understand? Make sure you subscribe to our podcast on Stitcher and Spotify. Click follow. On Apple Podcasts, hit the plus sign. Send us a voice memo or email us your hot takes at operaboxscore at gmail.com. You'll get an OBS beer coaster and an OBS lapel pin just for sharing your own hot take. And without further ado... Oliver Camacho, how are you this fine evening? I'm good, and I have to congratulate, uh, I guess, you. Uh, Me? And, yeah, <laughs> and George uh, for uh, coming up with a good show last week for Aww. Halloween, which we're actually recording on Halloween today, but you're not going to hear this, listeners, until later on in the week. But um, friend of the show, Michael Rice, the original opera podcaster, thought it was one of our Good shows. <laughs> Is that just because you and I weren't on yes, it? Yes, it was like a... <laughs> Matt, how are you doing? Are you feeling at all spooky this past week? I know you missed the spooktacular, so it can't have been too spooky. Oh, I mean, I've just been crying my eyes out having mm. missed the spooktacular. It's one of my favorite traditions. Oh, so sad. I was actually like kind of worried that I was going to get abducted by zombies on Saturday night because I drove home from having dinner with my dad who was in town and the park across the street from my apartment had like this blanket of fog that truly looked like something out of a George Romero movie. So we're all lucky that I'm here tonight, frankly. We are indeed. But unfortunately, I'm told by George that we have been unlucky in fancy football this past mm. week. He says, sad news, we played the Magic Fluties, who are in the 12th mm. place going into our game, and one of the lowest scoring teams overall. However, Sunday was their day, and it was their highest scoring game of the season, and as best as I can tell, the most points scored by anyone in the league so far in the season as well. Sometimes you're the hammer, sometimes you're the nail. Our record falls to 6-2. Such words of wisdom from our from our fearless leader. <sighs> so yeah. sad. But I think that, uh, I think that's supposed to be our record falls to 6 and 2. I'm not sure, but 6 I'm not and a... 2, 6 yeah. 2. I don't I, yeah. 6 foot 7 is what I am, so I don't understand any other numbers <laughs> beyond that. So, uh let's talk some opera. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. So as Weston previewed, we are going to be talking about that competition, which you know just con <laughs> it just concluded yesterday as we record. And I confess to having watched as much of it as I could because I really enjoy watching it. Um, a few weeks ago, we had Katie Lewick on and the video of her singing Renava Nel Silencio is still one of the most exciting videos. We also had Amanda Woodbury on uh, a few years back and her Ophelia's Mad Scene, 
from Amle is also a bop. And um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just it's just an exciting competition. You meet singers who are just on the cusp of having big careers. And I have to say that they get it right a lot. They don't always get it right. right. But uh, the some of the singers who have placed in Operalia uh, really have gone on to become singers of note internationally and domestically. Uh, Matt, do you want to give us a, a tiny bit of history or sort of how yeah. Operalia is, is set up? I mean, I mean, to go off on what you were saying, like almost every year, at least one, if not more, of the people who place like have major careers. And the way that these people enter the competition is that they it's it's singers who are aged from 18 to 20 ish until 32 who are quote ready for an international career in opera <laughs> whatever that means uh and uh, and about a thousand people submit applications every year video recordings to get picked to be uh the 40 ish people who will compete live in the competition there are three rounds of the competition. After the first round, it gets cut down to 20. After the second round, it gets to cut down to 10. And then the final 10 compete in this final round, which is the only round that is in, uh, 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 that has an orchestra, that, that's an orchestral gala. Mm-hmm. Um, it is decided by a jury, which is presided over by um, he who shall not he be who named. must not be named. Well, well, uh, well, well this he, year, in addition, in addition to him, we had Samuel Gelberg from Washington National Opera, Jonathan Friend of the Met, Tobias something or other from Berlin Staatsoper, David Lomeli from Santa Fe, formerly of Dallas Opera, uh, the CEO of the Latvian Opera, um, Caroline something or other from Theater an der Wien. Yeah, so, uh, you know, a panel of who's who in, the, in these yes. elite opera managers, yes, company, yes, yes, yes. company directors, casting directors, uh, and they... They are the jury who decides the winners, but there is also an audience prize that the the audience votes on while the jury is making the decision of who shall place. And when we're talking about some notable winners, I mean, we're talking about that includes the people who are at the very top of their fields. Like in 1993, one of the earliest years of the competition, Nina Stamma won this competition. Mm. But um, Brian Asawa, the countertenor, won won this competition. Eric and Owens. that was early in the idea of countertenors. That was in 1994. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. they got it right. I mean, like he had a major career. Right, right, right. And then the, a couple of years later, Eric Owens got second place. Uh, the year, A few years after that, the winner was Erwin Schrott, the former Mr. Netrebko. Uh, and <laughs> uh, Joyce Dinanato and Ludovic Tessier tying for second behind him. Like Rolando Villazon, some more recent names. Pretty Yende, Rachel Willis Sorensen, friend of the show, Lisa Davidson, uh, yeah. Sonia Yoncheva, Angel Blue, Rosa Feola. Like a lot of people who go on to sing with great acclaim and like are very buzzed about singers and yeah. who really who whose potential more often than not pays off. Yeah, I mean to add to that list, uh Eileen Perez, friend of the show, um Janae, I'm sorry, Janai Brugger, friend of the show, Anthony Roth Costanzo, friend of the show, Katie Lewick placed uh third, friend of the show. Uh, we already mentioned Amanda Woodbury. Rachel Will Sorensen won in 2014, beating out Amanda Woodbury and countertenor John Holiday. Uh, Renee Barbera, um, Emily D'Angelo, uh, yeah. incredible artist uh, who is one of my favorites right now, and friend of the show Emily Pogarelts uh, placed third. So, um, yeah, so many of these singers uh, have had careers or are enjoying careers right now that are careers to watch, and uh, you know maybe Operalia just 
you know, is picking people who already show lots of signs that they are going to be doing this stuff. And let's be real, the panel uh, of this, the judging panel are the people that get to make that decision about what right. they're yeah. So yeah. they get to, um, that they they get to really reinforce what they've already decided as a successful singer. I mean, it's yes. it's it's a very interesting competition in in my mind because it's it's that whole they are already like basically getting a career sort of you know Above, just as a yeah. prerequisite. I feel like a lot of a lot of competitions focus on like young singers who are c- kind of unheard of, you know. Uh, and like these are younger singers, generally speaking, but they're also, you know, more established than I think your average competition. Um, but like, but I think it is I think what makes it such a, a big predictor of success is the fact that it is so close to that sort of core of power and sort of like the old established yeah. um, uh, uh, management. No, you know, on, you're exactly the right. Uh, there are, you know, the competition that we think of the most in the U.S. as like the big competition is the Met competition. Right, but the exactly. Met competition essentially is like a young artist competition. It's not mm. uh, an established artist competition. And the Operalia singers are, in fact, you know, on the young side, but most of them have already had engagements in opera houses that are not just like finishing their master's degree, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so there's, exactly. one part of, there's one part of the mission. I, maybe, Matt, you could speak to this. Um, they care about Sarsuela. I wonder why. Uh, <laughs> what do you think about their, you know, side mission to promote uh, Zarzuela, and are they accomplishing that? So the founder of this competition is the child of two Zarzuela singers, and the two prizes in Zarzuela that they give out every year, one for uh, one for a male singer and one for a female singer, are named in honor of his parents. And so it is definitely very close to the mission of someone in particular to try to prop it up. But And certainly there are notable singers who have who who won the Sarsuela prize and didn't end up placing in the competition. Uh, Ana Maria Martinez is one of them. In one of the earliest years, she was a Sarsuela prize winner, but did not place. Uh, and, and it does, it gives kind of a second bite at the apple because singers are eligible for multiple prizes. They're, they're eligible to be awarded as many prizes as the jury decides that they should have. Uh, but... I wouldn't say that it's necessarily translated into like an explosion of opera houses all over the world picking up this repertoire and running with it, even if mm. e- even if theoretically it's supposed to create a pool of singers who understand it and are able to really, you know, take it and run with it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, singers from, let's say, Latvia are sort of, um, you know, disadvantaged <laughs> by... Just a little uh, bit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do think that that it's a... I mean, Zosuela is such an interesting art form uh, because it is so regionally specific. Um, it, it is odd almost to see it in something as wide-ranging and as, you know, opera-centric as, as Operalia. But I, I, it is a lot of, like, crossover skills. I mean, you do have to be an operatic singer... Uh, at least to some degree, to to be uh, to be successfully singing these zarzuelas, um, I, I do admire, you know, in in one way the the centering of that sort of you know uh, that sort of voice and that sort of performance. Um, it's just kind of strange to have both at the same time, and I am not versed enough on my zarzuelas to know how how me- how much these singers are actually going back and then doing zarzuelas, you know. Um, 
there might be some stats on that that I'm just not aware of, but yeah. it's a it's it's a weird sort of dual competition, and it's like, oh yeah, this is just a thing we also do uh, that you know doesn't really. It, I'm sure it matters very much to some very specific people, but uh, I think most people who are watching Operalia are not are not interested in that part of the competition. I think they are doing something a little bit more. Uh, relevant recently by creating the Birgit Nielsen Prize, which right. acknowledges a singer, just one, doesn't matter which gender, uh, a singer who has the potential to move into Wagnerian repertoire. And not many singers can, you know, declare that before they turn 32. It's one of those things that kind of happens later in your career. But, you know, Nina Stemma probably would have won the Wagnerian Prize, uh, <laughs> right. the, I mean, the, the Birgit Nelson Prize, if that existed back in 1993 when she competed. I was going to say, like, if if you take Zarzuela and compare it to a very similar genre like operetta, that gets done by opera houses. Like, it gets done a lot in Austria and Germany, but it gets done in opera houses all over the world. Whereas that kind that same Zarzuela has not really been able to break out of that kind of regional bubble of Spanish-speaking mm-hmm. countries. And if that was the if the goal was to bring a a higher level of um, recognition to it as an art form, I, I I'm not sure that you can say that it's fully succeeded. Yeah, especially when you have a competition like this, where you're already talking about people who have some sort of career very close to these seats of power. It doesn't really come across as a let me introduce you to something cool kind of competition. It's a this is what's going to happen, you know, if you are I'm already doing in this, this to circle. maximize my chances of possibly winning a prize. Right. Since exactly. the Sarsuela part of the competition is optional also for to yes. for singers to opt in or out of. So um if you were watching, like I was watching, um, you know that the adjudication takes an unusually long (laughs) time um and while they you know while you're waiting you get these fun interviews on the ground in latvia or wherever the competition is happening but then when it's time to announce the winners they have this package that they play this video package while all the adjudicators are assembled on the stage and I assume somebody's back there carving names into awards. Um, they play <laughs> this frantically. Yes, they play this movie. It's like <laughs> like a half hour long of like the creator of Operalia is so great, and <laughs> you get you get testimonials from the likes of Sonia Yancheva and Joyce DiDonato and Anthony Roth Costanzo, and you know people who. Uh, maybe not Sonia Yancheva, but people who like we know sort of their brand. And we would think that besides being ambassadors for the art in general, they're also social justice warriors. So, yeah, I totally misspoke by saying Sonia Yancheva. Yeah, really not her. She's been <laughs> going to have to defend him yeah. for a while now. But um, that is always that always gives a slightly icky feeling. Right. And, you know, they were they were asked and they said yes. And they could have said no, but they said yes. So that's a choice. Um, And then, you know, the backlash happens probably every year. This year, we have on the new forum for classical singers, the administrator, Claudia Friedlander, saying, every time an opera industry professional expresses admiration and gratitude towards him, every time a young singer avails themselves of his largesse via this competition, it undermines the quality of our culture and the safety of our workplaces. So Claudia was specifically referring to New England Conservatory, who posted a picture of one of the winners, I believe, as a alumnus of New England Conservatory, 
And that picture is posed with the creator of the competition. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, she made that post and apparently New England Conservatory took it down after they saw like that there was going to be some stuff in the comments. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, Claudia responded by saying, way to avoid actually making a statement of any kind about your complicity with a known prolific sexual predator. And she reposted the original picture. <laughs> I mean, I think it really speaks to, because uh, like we were saying, this is the competition where it's like the old established industry movers and shakers, you know, are in charge of it, including the uh, the tenor who must not be named. Um, and I mean, I definitely have some sympathy because this is in many ways, this feels like the competition, if there is such a thing in the opera world that is too big to fail. Do you know what I mean? This is this is the big one. Right. Um, and and it is so connected to uh, to him that you have this strong incentive to like, even if you know uh, about about his, you know, allegations and stuff you you are very strongly incentivized to be like i am so close to the seat of power here i don't want to like accidentally get blacklisted uh i want to ride the coattails of these powerful people in our industry um especially if you're one of the uh, competitors one of the younger singers who is you know you know has a starting career but like for them you know winning operalia or even like getting in the finals or the semifinals would be such a huge potential boost to their career uh it not is not to mention your... to their bottom line for the year like yeah, exactly <laughs> like you know you uh, uh you have you have so much like financial incentive to be like well let's try to look past all that and like look at the 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 positive for one of a better word you know of yeah. you know of like you know cuz like this this competition has elevated some important careers and you know and i i feel like it becomes very easy to um sweep under the rug in the moment um especially when you have you know uh obviously he has not had really any uh any career over here in the u.s for a while but in europe they there's so much apolo apologists for him that you have a, a it's very hard to get past that when you are right there in the seat of power you know it, it reminds me of um of like a, i think it was uh there was a oh god what was the movie it was about the nixon watergate that whole thing um, and there's a there's a scene where uh, or one of the characters is like decrying Nixon. He's like, oh, I, I, I can't stand him. You know, uh, I would tell him what for if I ever got the chance, you know, and then he has the opportunity to meet him in the White House. And all he can do is hold hold out his hand and shake his hand because it's just so intimidating to be in that seat of power. Right. It's a very strong psychological push. And it's um, it's a difficult situation, too, because. This is such a big competition. It feels like you can't just like get rid of the competition. I mean, maybe in a few years after he dies, they'll remove his name subtly from as much as they can. But, uh, you know, until then, what do you do? It's uh, but it feels like in some ways it feels like a real some really foreboding foreshadowing here because the reactionary winds are blowing very, very strongly. Right. Uh, and there are not very many people who's um, let who uh whose consequences and whose accountability from the last couple of years 
have completely stuck. Like Harvey Weinstein is one of the few. James Lyon right. is one of the few. Right. Uh, and to have this kind of a toehold for uh, a tenor turned baritone who like is desperate <laughs> turned conductor, to turn turned conductor, right. <laughs> to turn opera director, turn administrator, but who is desperate to stay relevant and to stay at the center of the industry, not just involved in the industry, but to right. stay like in the middle of the limelight um, it sends a really bad message in terms of the priorities and in terms of what people are going to be willing to stand up for going forward now that they don't have the wind at their back quite so much in terms of speaking up about this sorts of things. Yeah. I'm sorry that our resident uh, fully functioning rageaholic Ashley Hardgrave isn't on the show today <laughs> to give us her perspective as a woman in this industry. Um, I'll say that I have been the victim of um, aggravation. Uh, ag- aggravation? Uh, is that the word? Uh, I've been the victim of um, misconduct mm. uh, in my, you know, has been or never, never, never has been career. And so I understand uh, how uh, this can feel and how it can make you doubt whether you have talent or doubt if you could have good, gotten further if you had been compliant, etc. Uh, but I also come from an age where it's like, yeah, just suck it up. Like, this is the business you chose. Like, and that's my that's my issue. Uh, I'm of my generation where I just accept these things. Um, I know that the younger generations um, are not going to stand for it, and I'm grateful to them for, you know, making a stink and for hopefully causing positive change. But what are we going to do with this competition? And you know how are how is the board going to, as you said, Weston, you know erase his name from this thing and all the ties that he all i mean he created it for god's sake you know yeah he he, there's a whole section of the website that's just about him yeah still yeah (laughs) i mean i think it is going to become easier once he eventually you know kicks the bucket uh and uh you know things start to get quietly erased i mean i i do feel like i don't see at least in you know sort of the english speaking world i definitely don't see his name come up uh in association with operalia nearly as often as he did before all the allegations came out um but that might just be me that might just be the the circle that i'm hanging out in um it is really something to consider um uh i i mean it's it's it is time to sort of like you know start that process now uh, before we get, you know, before we just like, I mean, it's not very proactive to just wait for someone to die, right? You need to be, uh, you need to be raising the stink. You need to think about the 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 consequences of letting him still be a part of it. And because, you know, it, because you're right, Oliver, like the younger generation is the one that's speaking up and like pushing back. But like, again, there's that incentive, especially, especially for young singers to just, you know, pose and like, you know, um, and just be like, wow, this is uh, the famous tenor baritone conductor that we've all heard so much about. And if I don't get this, uh, if I don't publish this pro him picture on social media, that could that could mean the difference of, you know, of a whole career for me, you know, Um, and I think it is it is it does create the incentive. It's not just a symptom of the of the way the opera industry has been poorly run in terms of sexual assault for uh, for forever. It's it's that it's it is 
by having him still be there, it is keeping it and and, and trying to implant that acceptance in the next generation. Um, and I don't know if it will succeed to the extent it has in the past, but it is something that we need to um, try to eradicate while we can before it before it you know builds right back up again. Well, this is uh, an ongoing topic, and as long as Operalia is around, uh, we're going to have to think about these things and reckon with it. And we really would love to hear from you, our yeah. listeners, on what your take is and what we should do and how we should talk about this competition and talk about the people who win it and who are necessarily obliged to be grateful to the competition, which in turn makes them grateful to the competition's creator. Well, while we figure out how to reckon with this whole uh, situation, let's try something a little easier and reckon with the two-minute drill. This just in, the two-minute drill. All right, listen up. Here's everything you need to know about what happened in Operland this week. Congratulations to the winners of the 2022 Domingo, I mean, Operalia competition. <laughs> Big winner is soprano Serena Science Molinero of Spain, who won the Zarzuela Prize for her gender, who won second place in opera, and won the Birgit Nilsson Prize. Congratulations to first prize male for opera, Anthony Leon, a tenor from the U.S. And another big winner, Armenian soprano Juliano Gregorian, who also took away the audience prize for her gender. Juliana Gregorian won her opera competition with the Song to the Moon from Ruzalka, and Anthony Leon by singing Je Crois Entendre from Bizet's The Pearl Fishers. While not every singer in the Operalia competition made it past the first round, Russian baritone Vasily Sokolov was disqualified before he even had a chance to sing. Officials cited his service in the Song and Dance Ensemble of the Russian Army as the reason for his disqualification. Afton Battle, one of the few black women to ever run a U.S. opera company, is resigning from Fort Worth Opera, becoming the second consecutive general director in a row to resign after three seasons or less. A self-professed artist-activist, Battle had previously expressed frustrations over running the company as a black woman in a conservative state. Battle took to social media to say, I am starting a new chapter in my career that will be announced soon. La Scala has received a letter from a number of Ukrainian-Italian citizens asking the company to rethink the use of Russian operas for their upcoming season. The letter claims that opening the season with Boris Godunov gives grist to Russian propaganda mills to gin up support for Putin's war. Decca Classics has announced a new album entitled Jesse Norman, The Unreleased Masters, which will showcase never-before-heard recordings by the legendary soprano. The set includes a performance of Tristan and Isolde, where she performed the roles of both Isolde and Brangena, Wagner and Strauss song cycles, and a live recording of cantatas by Haydn, Berlioz, and Britton. In non-Operalia contest news, Mexican baritone Carlos Arambula has won the Radio Philharmonia singing contest, while Mexican tenor Osvaldo Martinez took home the Dempsey Rivera Special Award. Meanwhile, French Cypriot soprano Sarah Aristodou has received the Belmont Prize for Contemporary Music. In trade news, the Théâtre des Champs-Élysées has announced that Baptiste Charouin, the company's current director of production, will succeed Michel Franck in 2025. Charouin notably participated in the creation of the Chamber Philharmonic, 
founded the ensemble Les Dissonances and has previously worked with Palazzetto Bruzzane. But really, I'm telling you all of this because after looking at his headshot, I think I'm moving to France. <laughs> In not being traded news, Opera Theatre of St. Louis has announced the renewal of general director and friend of the show Andrew Jorgensen's contract for an additional five-year term, taking his total tenure to ten years. On the disabled list, the Wiener Staatsoper has announced a cast change for its production of Ariadne of Naxos. The company said that Kate Lindsay will sing the role of the composer, replacing Christina Bach for performances this November. Congratulations to soprano Laura Wilde, who replaced Nicole Carr as Ellen Orford in Peter Grimes, making her Metropolitan Opera debut. Carr will return for performances in November. Exit stage right, Mariana Nicolesco has died at the age of 73. In 1978, Nicolesco made her debut at the Metropolitan Opera and went on to perform at many of the leading theaters around the world, including La Scala, the Salzburg Festival, and the Rossini Opera Festival. Metropolitan Opera stagehand Joseph Ancona has died at the age of 20. The young crew member was involved in an accident in the New York City subway last month. $11,000 has already been raised to help cover funeral expenses through GoFundMe. And on this day, October 31st, in 1724, George Friedrich Handel's opera Tamerlano premiered at the King's Theatre in the Haymarket. In 1788, Luigi Cherubini's La Molinarella premiered in Paris. In 1833, Alexander Borodin was born. 1866 saw the first performance of Jacques Offenbach's operetta La Vie Parisienne, and just eight years later, his Madame L'Archiduc premiered on this day in Paris. In 1891, Pietro Mascagni's L'Amico Fritz premiered in Rome. In 1906, Jules Massenet's Ariane premiered in Paris. And on this day, October 31st, in 1949, Mark Blitzstein's Regina opened in New York City. And that's your two-minute drill. <laughs> You just heard mezzo-soprano Vivica Genot singing the aria A dispetto d'un volto ingrato from Handel's Tamerlano. A bop. A bop indeed. And if you watch the video, you can see that idiosyncratic coloratura technique that we all love so much. Love it so much. <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. I forget what the call to action is, but you're listening right now. Just go ahead and do it. It'll just take you a second. You hit... Oh, is it plus on, on the, the plus on Apple, Apple Podcast? Yeah, <laughs> and favorite uh, on or follow on Stitcher and and Spotify. <laughs> this is why we give George the job to do the call to action. Um, uh, yes, it's one of those days. Uh, uh, obviously, you listeners will not hear it. This will be a flawless performance for you guys. But uh, <laughs> let me tell you, that two minute drill had a lot of bloopers. Um, More like the twenty two minute drill. Speaking of uh, bloopers, um, I'm very interested to hear what happened. 
uh, at Fort Worth Opera that caused Afton Battle uh, to quit so suddenly. Um, I, I think it'd be great to get her on the show <laughs> and ask her about it if she's yeah. able to speak about it. It does feel abrupt, and uh, she is still amplifying her initiatives, um, mm-hmm. and you know things are still happening that she started over there. Um, she's not burning it all down, so um, but her leaving definitely feels spicy to say the yeah. least mm-hmm. yeah it does well, these board members from some of the quotes in this article are sound like real pieces of work about <laughs> how no one hired her to be an activist like that was yeah she's, when when she's very open about it and you give her the job then like yes you kind of did frankly. yeah absolutely like she it is very clear who afton battle is she is uh she's an activist she has a very strong sense of justice she is exactly the kind of person that we need to be running more companies especially at this time when we're finally finally starting to reckon with you know some of opera's racist past some of you know uh the opera's sexist past uh it it, it it's so frustrating to see uh i mean again i'm purely speculating i don't know why she uh is is leaving but she has expressed frustration before in the conservative nature of this specific um of opera in this region uh and you know what it just it just means that these uh opponents did not listen to her interview that she gave us right when she was <laughs> yeah made. they really I didn't. mean she said it right then and there who she was and she has lived up to it so yeah it's 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 just very it's very interesting to me I I imagine more will come out uh obviously you know it, it, she's not trying to burn any bridges as, as far as we can tell so uh I don't know how uh salacious it might be but I think it's you know um uh I think it'd be great to get her on the show again and maybe hear what she has to say because that's you know obviously something that i think the maybe the trustees were not doing <laughs> so we don't talk about recordings enough on this show but um, really <laughs> yeah <laughs> no i mean uh we could talk about them a lot more and um we're gonna get it's gonna be a great year we're gonna get a diana damra christmas album which you already yeah teased. that's true i mean that's what, uh <laughs> what's our advent calendar at <laughs> <laughs> there is a new Theodora with uh, Lizette Oropesa as Theodora and uh, Joyce Donato as Irene. And then today, it felt like Christmas in October or Christmas <laughs> on Halloween. A new Spooky. Jesse Norman CD? I that, know. <laughs> truly something that I never thought would ever happen again for obvious reasons. Well, yeah. Well, I will say, like, this is, this is you know, uh, there is a lot of... Um, a lot of material out there for a lot of these, you know, classic singers who've been around for a long time. Like, you know, there a lot of these big recording companies don't even know what they have That's in, true. on on tape. You know, uh, it's it's so fascinating to me to like hear about restorations and like you know someone you know, especially with what, especially when you have companies who like you know, are so busy not thinking about the classical music part of their uh, 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 division of... I mean, this of, is DECA. If there's yeah. one well, of the three that's still true. kind they're, of they're, alive. They're the most aware of what they have in their archives, perhaps. But, like, you know, it, there's still a, a very... It's very easy to, like, lose things. I mean, you know, uh, Oliver and I both work at a radio station, 
And, you know, uh, uh, it's very easy to just find like a real to real tape that's just like this gem of an interview from, you know, 1965 that has not been heard since mm-hmm. 1965, you know, uh, and and it's it's really, really exciting. And I'm like, oh, oh, wow. New new Jesse Norman content is what I'm about. And I, they probably have more. Well, um, there's there's this teaser that I don't quite understand that there's a Tristan with Isolde where she sings Isolde and Brent Gaina. Is that like when Grace Bumbry sang Aida? And Amneris on the same recording, <laughs> or when uh, Birgit Nilsson sang both Venus and Elizabeth in in her Tannhäuser recording. <laughs> but I don't know exactly what that duets. means. Yeah. I, I I do think it's really important that this is being done with the support of her family and estate because a lot of times yes. when I hear about these kind these like archival recordings being released, I get concerned that someone is being exploited as a kind of cash grab. But yeah. it seems. So far, like this is all above board and it's just getting these released out so the public can hear them and to do honor to her work, which even a artist as prolifically recorded as Jesse Norman, like there's more out there that people should be able to hear because mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty much all good. <laughs> And like Decca, Decca, like also like you know, not to get too much like a recording nerd in here, but Decca has some really good tapes on hand. They they always have very like high fidelity reel to reel recordings, you know, from from that sort of era. I'm assuming this is sort of the 60s 70s era. No, this would have uh, been recorded in the in the 80s or the 90s. 80s or stuff. 90s? Yeah, yeah, maybe even uh-huh. the aughts. Yeah. Oh, but that, then that's maybe when not the, the um, it was recorded in 98. It says. Okay. Oh, 98. Okay. The, tr- the Tristan then. was from 98 and the the song cycles are from 89 to 92-ish and mm-hmm. the cantatas from 94. So, still they should be pretty 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 solidly done. Uh even the live the live stuff should be really uh exciting. So you're um, saying that stuff from the 60s and 70s sounds better than stuff from the 80s and the 90s? I mean, honestly, yeah. I mean, the, the, obviously it's it's all subjective, but uh I I I've I, you know, you talk about, you know, it's part of their marketing. So grain of salt here. But the DECA sound, it really is a thing. You know, if you uh, I, I I had a whole phase, you know, when I was in, you know, high school where I where I like, you know, got really sick of like the Deutsche Grammophon mixing. And I like I like had like a straight year where I would only listen to DECA recordings Yeah, and correct <laughs> from me if, that era. Correct uh, me if I'm wrong, Weston, but like DECA is known specifically as being the best voice for best mixing for yeah. vocal classical yeah. music. Yeah, I, I I would say so. If you're talking about like the golden era of recordings, I would say so. They have a lot of depth of sound. I mean, the Schulte um, Ring is on Decca. Yeah. A lot of the Joan yeah. Sutherland, Richard Bonding recordings were on Decca. Their their recordings tend to age extremely, extremely well, and that's why I'm so excited. I think that's a topic for a show where you play, you show the audience. <laughs> I'm serious, you show the audience because one is compressed to MP3 for a podcast. I'm sure they won't tell the difference, but. <laughs> <laughs> but you should explain what you mean by that, because I I mean, I sort of get where you're coming from, but I think that's uh, that's a lot for people, you know, and like you know, we, <laughs> Matt and I will nerd out about like vocal technique and, you know, ornaments who like did that. What but trill, the- who, who interpolated which E flat where and whose was the best? I do want to circle back to um, Operalia and just congratulate Duke Kim, who, again, I saw sing uh, Romeo in Milwaukee just earlier this month. And uh, he did such a great job uh, singing uh, Lenski's aria. Um, there was a Korean bass baritone. Um, his name is Yong Won Han, uh, who sang that Banquo aria from um, uh, Macbeth. The I forget what it's called. 
Say uh, Prichipita something, something. Yeah, but it's it's just like my son, you know, look out, whatever. Um, yeah. it's it's a great aria. <laughs> that that yeah. that one. <laughs> yeah, that um, great aria. My but, son, look out. <laughs> But uh, it was like this guy has tone for days. Like I thought he was going to win just because his tone was so impressive. And it even came through on my crappy little, you know, JBL speaker. It just suddenly <laughs> like just shook my apartment. Um, it's I'm like that gonna, DECA sound. Yeah. I'm not going <laughs> to comment so much on the um, the winners. Uh, I don't know them. Uh, and uh, they they were fine. Um, and they, maybe I'm, maybe I'm a little bit prejudiced because because I really do adore Duke Kim, but um, yeah, mm. who knows? You know, who the heck knows? <laughs> That's the, some incisive commentary that you come to oh, Opera Box you, for. Aren't you, <laughs> aren't you friends with uh, Emily? Uh, I am friends with Emily Sierra. We both yeah. worked together briefly uh, at Chicago Opera Theater uh, several years ago now. Uh, maybe I can grab her and get she her on sang, the show one of these she days. She sang Parto Parto, yeah, which I think yeah. is a really hard aria to compete with. I think it's it's impressive to a very, very small segment of you know the audience. <laughs> I love that aria. Which, I know. Theoretically, you would think that a jury of all of the luminaries in the opera world would be among, <laughs> but there's no accounting for taste. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I do think that a lot of the uh, the 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 winners uh, of Operalia, you know, not to get too much into uh, you know the uh, the problematic aspects of it again, but like I do think a lot of the winners tend to be, feel more like political uh, decisions than um, you know, uh, which is hardly a unique problem to yeah, Operalia. Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> I, honestly, I don't even mind that too much. Um, personally as like a a viewer of a competition because i i usually just kind of expect that you know what i hear and what what they hear is going to be different and it's going to be colored by different things and i might even feel like someone was robbed sometimes but you know when it comes right down to it i'm like it's it's mostly about coming together and like creating uh music in a really unique competitive atmosphere that's very sports like which is very on brand for us um and some people don't like that and some people do you know wait a second i have to do a jimmy barton here and apologize um, I misstated the name of the bass who was really impressive. Uh, <gasps> Oliver, the, no. The bass who I thought was really impressive, who I thought was going to win, but got an encouragement award instead, was uh, Inho Zhang. Um, he sang the Banco Aria. Um, there's another, there's actually a lot of Koreans this year, so I just got the names mixed up, and I didn't put the name to the face, and I'm conflating all the Koreans. Thank goodness Duke Kim's name was very distinct for me. <laughs> Oliver is canceled. <laughs> I'm canceled. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, now that Oliver's been canceled, I think it's time to end the show. Uh, hopefully not permanently. We'll see what the audience reaction is to the, this when it goes out and Oliver is uh, raked through the mud. But uh, let's move on to good call, bad call. Good call, bad call on Opera Box Score. Good call, bad call. It's how we end every single show, even this one. Oliver Camacho, what do you have for me? Well, congrats to friends of the show, Janai Brugger and Matthew Polanzani for um, pulling their weight in what was clearly the Sandra Rabinovsky show last week. Um, they were both so good and so watchable and sang so beautifully. Uh, even though once Sandra Rabinovsky came on stage, you could not hear anybody else <laughs> in last week's uh, Medea from the Met. Uh, and I also want to shout out friend of the show, Katie Lewick, who posted this 
Facebook video of her practicing the coloratura jag that she's going to sing very soon at Lyric Opera of Chicago. Love, love, love. Thank you, Katie, oh my for God, sharing that. amazing. <laughs> Matt Cummings. Uh, check out our show notes to find a pretty awesome profile of Soprano Latonia Moore from NPR. She And it talks about her, how, how she got into opera from her background as a jazz and gospel singer. And she just comes across as like a very normal, cool person. And we always like to see normal person representation in the arts. So rock on. Normal person representation is the it's way to go forward. <laughs> yeah, so true. Uh, I have a good call. Uh, this is from George. It looks like there's a Guardian, uh, 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 a Guardian article. Let me click on it. Oh, it's about Gilbert and Sullivan. Mm. Oh no! It says dismiss their Bad works talks. at your peril. <laughs> Strip the barnacles off stale tradition. Off the Victorian duo's light operettas and their seditious glory still shines. Uh, yeah, George. I'll just click X on that one. All right, that's it for this week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show about opera. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. He's at normwaddell.com. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast on Stitcher and Spotify. Click follow. On Apple Podcasts, hit that plus sign. Send us a voice memo or email us your hot takes at operaboxscore at gmail.com. You'll get an OBS beer coaster and an OBS lapel pin just for sharing your own hot take and canceling Oliver Camacho. Our creative consultant is Oliver Camacho. Our audio editor is me, Weston Williams. For your co-host, Matt Cummings, I'm Weston once again, asking you to continue the conversation about opera while you try not to mention the name of a certain famous tenor who is not Pavarotti and he's not Carreras. (laughs) We're back with an all-new show next week when we go inside the huddle with the team behind Gods of the Games, the football opera that opened last month at Grange Park Opera. Plus, you get more opera headlines, more hot takes, and more of the Deca Sound. Join us.